and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we discuss in depth the issues impacting the business of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. You know, a neat part about my job is I travel all over North America speaking at Agricultural Conferences Association meetings. I am today in New Brunswick. I know you're saying Brunswick. No, not the company that makes bowling pins. I'm talking about New Brunswick. That is one of the maritime provinces just north and east of Maine. And I just walked off the stage where I did a presentation for Potatoes New Brunswick. I've got their executive director here. So I think it'd be really nice for us to talk about the potato industry. This is like my seventh potato industry event. And you're saying, all right, is this worth me listening to? Of course it is, because what unique situations does the potato industry encounter that you hadn't thought about? As a business of ag person, you're saying, all right, this is something I don't know a lot about. I mean, I'm a corn person. I'm a soybean person. I'm out here doing feed for the beef industry or the dairy industry. Hey, potatoes, we all eat them. It's the number one starch crop for uh, for our dinner plates. And so we're talking taters. Anyway, thank you very much. It's the business of agriculture and we're talking taters. My guest, Matt Hempel, He's a little bit like me. Turns out we have some things in common. He's the youngest of a large family. He's youngest of six. I'm youngest of nine. He uh, is a dairy farm kid, and he's just about my age, and he is the executive director of Potatoes New Brunswick. Mr. Hempel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Damien. My pleasure. Uh, All right. We're talking taters. I was just in front of your audience. All your growers and then the vendors and industry-related people, sponsors, etc., crammed in here. You'll be happy to know this, dear listeners. Because it is Canada, (laughs) the program was held in a hockey rink. That's right. There's people out (laughs) skating out in the hockey rink just outside of this conference room. But uh, remember, there's three things you can count on when you do work in Canada. Uh, They're going to be really polite folks. They have this sort of rabid thing for, uh, for hockey. And you can see a Tim Hortons about every 50 feet. So, Mr. Hempel, let's talk about taters. Tell me about your job. Okay, I represent 145 growers here in New Brunswick. Uh, 60% of what we produce here in the province is for processing, both on French fries and form product, as well as potato chips. The remaining uh, 40% is uh, split between table potatoes and seed potatoes. And what's interesting, most people listening to this show are obviously agriculturally minded. They will get it more than perhaps the average suburban person. But you know the difference between table potatoes and processing. But go ahead and give it to me. So these potatoes mostly go to French fries and hash browns. Am I right? Exactly. Yeah. Foreign foreign products, uh, tater tots, uh, Tim Hortons hash browns, McDonald's hash browns, and uh, French fries. In the provinces, because everybody in the U.S. that's listening to this show says, I mean, I know about Idaho. I've heard about Idaho potatoes, which we should point out. Is there such a thing as a Idaho potato? No. It's a brand, right? Exactly. Okay, tell exactly. them that real quick. Yeah, so we've, uh, we've been fortunate here in, in our province to brand our seed potato business. And, uh, of course, we've branded our processing business as it comes to uh, McCain Foods and uh, Old Dutch potato chips and uh, covered bridge potato chips. Uh, what we need to get better at here in New Brunswick is branding our table potato or our uh, fresh potato. Yeah. How much you said 60% goes to French fries and frozen and then 40% goes to fresh market? 
uh, fresh and seed. 20, fresh and 20 seed. for fresh, yeah. Okay. All right. A lot of people listening to this are saying, all right, I, I eat potatoes. Tell me about potatoes. I, I know about Idaho potatoes, which is really a russet. Am I right? Correct. Okay. Give me the big, the big, I know you got tables downstairs. I walked through your trade show. I saw a lot of different varieties of potatoes. Give me the quick and dirty on potato varieties. Okay. For us here in New Brunswick, our main variety is the russet Burbank for processing. On the fresh side or the table side of our business, uh, we grow uh, very few reds and very few yellows. yellows. Uh, most of what we're growing here is a, uh, a dark flesh and a uh, white uh, white potato. Okay, that's still for the fresh market mostly? Yes. Okay. When you uh, have these these meetings, okay, what's the big deal? Because these are mostly grown on a contractual basis, right? Correct. Yep. I mean, this is not like I can just grow soybeans and figure out you know where I'm going to sell them and which mill. These are done on a contractual basis because it's a specialty crop. Yeah, for, for the... Our processing business, uh, it is all contracted, both on the fry side and the chip side. Uh, fresh business, is uh, we're not so fortunate, but that's no different than other provinces or other U.S. states. Uh, it's, a, it's an open business. Uh, if the market's doing well, which it has in the last two, three years, North America-wide, uh, it, it's a good business. Our seed business, uh, of course, we've created a brand here and a demand here. So our seed business uh, here in New Brunswick uh, is healthy. However, uh, we, we are seeing uh, some declines. Quick little east. bit of science for our friends uh, that say, wait a minute, potato seeds, you and I know, because potatoes are tubers. It's not a seed like it comes out of a pod and gets dried down. Tell them what a seed potato is. Okay, a seed potato is a, a potato that uh, is the perfect potato. It's uh, free of disease and uh optically perfect and it goes in the ground and uh, it uh, sprouts and produces uh, other potatoes right and obviously yield matters disease resistance matters so it's still we're looking for the right genetics but it is uh it is an actual potato they get sliced i think i, I saw that once am i right about this yeah correct the the, the habits here in the atlantic northeast is to uh, uh cut and uh, and plant However, uh, the technology that we learned here today and we've learned in previous years is that uh, it's best to, uh, to plant whole seed for many, many reasons, mainly for uniform germination and to uh, prevent the spread of disease through the cutter. <clears throat> I read uh, a couple years ago that potato consumption in the United States was off 25% from its all-time high of 1996. Would that be similar here? You've been with this association for seven years, right? Yes, yeah. So you obviously have been to their meetings, you put on their meetings, you help negotiate their contracts on how they're selling stuff. You know taters. Uh, is potato consumption off 25% in Canada? Is that an accurate number from its all-time high? Our latest number in Canada is uh, actually 48% in the last 10 years on table potatoes. Okay. So stuff you'd purchase at the grocery store. Mainly due to ethnicities. Uh, we, we've got uh, our larger, our more larger cities, our, our population cities. Of course, we have different ethnic groups uh, migrating to Canada. So we're, we're, uh, we're seeing a decrease there. On the processing side, uh, there's actually a 7% growth in North America and 10% uh, uh, globally. Okay, so the place to be might be on hash browns, on hay, on tater tots, on French fries. Uh, what am I also, what am I missing here on processed? Yeah, the the French fry is the big one, but uh, things like a McDonald's uh, all day breakfast has uh, has changed the landscape for the. Uh, for the hash brown. That's fantastic. So processed is up 7%, but we're down still because we, we bring in people to North America that are that don't eat potatoes. It's a very European product. It's a very North American product. Our listeners, 
we, we can give them the quick and dirty on potatoes, which I'm sure you can tell us a little bit about the history of the potato. Yeah, a bit. Uh, the, we've been growing uh, potatoes here in New Brunswick for 104 years. Uh, of course, it uh, it uh, come over from uh, from Europe. Uh, some will argue maybe South America, but uh, yeah, we've uh, we've got a long history here of uh, of growing particularly seed potatoes, and uh, we've been shipping here for 104 years. Yeah, started in South America, got taken over to Europe by the Spaniards or the Portuguese. I thought was the story, and then brought back to the United States and Canada and North America in the uh, 1700s. Yeah, in around there depends on. Who you talk to. Depends on who you talk to. We weren't there. That's the best, <laughs> best part. We weren't there. And by the way, you might notice, listeners, if you're not from north of the border, we call it processing. They call it processing. But that's uh, they're still talking about taking the potato and adding value to it, which I talked a lot about in my presentation that I do with all ag crowds about adding value. We still look at a potato mostly as a commodity. Is that going to change? I'd like to think so, but uh, no. I think uh, we're we're in a, a situation right now where we've we've come off a few years of uh, overproduction. Uh, we've done our part here in New Brunswick and with organizations in both Canada and the U.S. to kind of prevent that. Uh, I would like to think we would get uh, uh, in a different position, but unfortunately, um, few people have uh, a disregard for where their product uh, is grown. Yeah, I think that the way to do it is is not through, it's either going to be fancy potatoes, oddball varieties, heirloom seems to be a popular word right now. You know, I, I make the point that as a dairy farm kid, as you and I both are, a few years ago I said, if you want to sell more uh, dairy products, here's some hot words. Whole, unhomogenized, humane, and heritage breed. <laughs> Isn't that something? And because, you know, people are not afraid of whole milk anymore. Homogenized seems to be, there's this connotation among people like on milk, I know, that they say, wait a minute, homogenized? That means they just brought a bunch of milk in from all these places and threw it all together. And that's true. That's what they did. And there's a little bit of a purity um, concept there among more affluent buyers. And then, of course, humane, that's a big push right now, which there's nobody that's concerned about humane treatment of potatoes. But there is a thing about heritage breeds and heirloom. Is there such a thing happening in potatoes? Are we getting heirloom potatoes? I don't know. I mean, we're, we've, uh, on the, on the variety development side here in New Brunswick, we've had, uh, challenges with our soil conditions, growing different varieties of potatoes. We've, we've made some, some strides in, um, value add or innovation on the packaging side. Uh, we've, we've gotten innovative, uh, with, uh, smaller potatoes, individual wrapped potatoes. Uh, but we're, we're somewhat limited here in this part of the world. Uh, in the Atlantic Northeast, mainly due to our, our heavy soils and uh, rocks, uh, we've uh, we've been, been known to to also uh, produce, bag, bag up some rocks, produce rocks here in New Brunswick. So uh, when you get a small potato and you get a rock larger than a potato, we've got some challenges here with uh, some of those smaller varieties for sure. All right, let's talk about production because people in ag. I mean, we I think we should continue to talk about value added because as we pointed out, there's no such thing. The average person that is a consumer in say the United States says, "Well, I bought some Idaho potatoes." And they say, "Well, what what variety was that?" Well, I don't know because it was an Idaho potato, and you and I both know that's branding. And they tell me the grocery store gets an extra buck a bag because it says Idaho potato. Uh, are we seeing any of that in Canada? Can no. you can you get an extra buck a bag by calling it a New Brunswick potato? No, unfortunately, uh, on the on the on our fresh side of the business, like the table side, um, it's all about the color of the skin and the price on the bag. If you watch consumers in a grocery store, very few will flip that bag over to see where that potato is grown. 
it's unfortunate, but to my point earlier, unfortunately, it's a, it's a commodity. Now, on the French fry side of it, when you partner with folks like McCain Foods, who's, you know, they're, they were founded here in New Brunswick, of course, they have a global brand. Mm -hmm. So once it becomes a French fry, it's a McCain fry, regardless of, of where it was grown. When you look at production, because obviously people in agriculture love production, it's what we do. We make stuff. We throw pounds of meat on steers and we we put broilers out of barns and by golly, we make stuff. You guys make a lot of potatoes up here. You told me when I was prepping for this that Canada produces about the same amount of potatoes as just the state of Idaho. Correct. Which is still a lot on a per capita or per consumption and production basis because if your population is about one-tenth of the United States of America, and it's my understanding that Idaho grows half of America's potatoes. You guys are growing basically uh, the same number as Idaho, which is half as much as the United States, but you're doing that with only one-tenth of the population. So you can thank me any time now. You're sending your potatoes south of the border. Absolutely. Where else do they go? Uh, for them, we, we export, like here in this province, we're about 60% export on the processing side. We're about 90% export on the, the fresh or the table side. Uh, all our seed is exported, other than, than, than very little. That you keep uh, back for next year's crop. Yeah, we keep back to replant. But there's also some export from French fries uh, into the uh, European markets. But our largest processor has plants globally, so it's limited. Okay. When you are, uh, you, you look at the potato thing here. When you look at the potato thing here, uh, I'm sorry, I got a little noisy outside of our recording area, folks. Let you know this is as live as it gets right now. I'm with Matt Hempel. He is the executive director of uh, Potatoes New Brunswick. That was my client today. And I have done like seven or eight different potato audiences. And I thought, man, I bet you we should talk about potatoes. What does the issue face? Uh, I tell all my crowds, you've got environmentalism. you got low prices and the economics of it. And, you know, those are the two big E's, environmentalism and economics. What do you guys face? Yeah, I'd say our, our biggest challenge right here and what our, our long-term goals are is, is uh, competitiveness. So we're, we're, the, the goal was uh, today was to uh, talk about our, our competitiveness uh, North America-wide, which includes getting up yields and obviously uh, decreasing our, uh, our cost of production. So in the short term, if we're going to continue to process potatoes here, uh, we need to be in a, uh, in a market where we can actually uh, produce uh, potatoes at a reasonable yield and uh, making sure that uh, we take full advantage of every acre and every seed that goes in the ground and uh, to make sure that um, we are, uh, are competitive on our, uh, our cost of production. Okay. When you look at environmentalism, is it going to be, you guys do use a lot of chemicals. Is there, down the road, do we use less chemicals in potato production? Well, we're, uh, there's no GMO potatoes here in New Brunswick. Um, it's in a lot of our contracts with our, with our uh, processors. Now, uh, more education needs to happen on GMO. There's, uh, there, there's an opportunity to educate the general public on, like you said, less uh, insecticides, pesticides, and things like that. If we can, we can use GMO potatoes, but uh, we're we're currently uh, not there. You're not there here. We have them in the United States. It's called the N8. Am I correct? Correct. Okay, and that's a Simplot yeah. branded technology. I think the best way they can roll it out, if they even face resistance, and I think the GMO thing goes away. To be honest with you, it's my it's my belief that we're going to have less resistance to GMOs one year from now than we had one year ago, and it's just going to go away because the consumer will move on. It's going to end up being some new debate. Four years ago, it was hot. 
I think that there's a certain amount of GMO fatigue. I also pointed out, and this is my opinion, label away. When they said, should we label these? And, and, and ag fought it and food fought it. And I say, you know what? Label. And I'll tell you why. It becomes ubiquitous. If you pick up a can of soup or a can of potato chips, it, it might say umparve on it. Mm-hmm. or have the U label. The average human doesn't have any idea, unless they're Jewish, what that even means. The label might also say made in China. I'm telling you, it just goes on and on and on. I don't think folks read labels, so I say label away, and the label should say may contain genetically engineered food uh, crop products. I'm not that worried about it long term. I used to think it was a big deal. I'm not convinced that it matters anymore. That being said, are you going to have genetically engineered potatoes because rust and fungus are your biggest concerns when you're growing tubers, right? Yes. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it, it's it's consumer driven. When you ask if we're going to have GMO potatoes here, it's driven by the consumer and of course our customers. When you look at our largest processor and you look at their customers, you know the McDonald's of the world and the Burger Kings and Wendy's. Uh, when they are when they're okay with GMO and they give the thumbs up for GMO, we'll be growing GMO. Yeah, and it's mostly because it is more environmentally, you use less product, less inputs to get the genetically modified potato out of the ground. Am I right? Correct. Yeah, less insecticide, less fungicide, less herbicide. And that's the story we need to tell agriculture. Make GMOs pro-environmental for those reasons, and the resistance will eventually fade. When you say, because of GMOs, we make less trips across the field. We burn less diesel. We we have less carbon emission. Because as I point out to all my audiences, including today, environmentalism is a religion. So if you can tie the GMO thing back to environmentalism, which is funny, most of the people against the technology are, consider themselves to be environmental, uh, environmental conscious people. Exactly. So you say, all right, we can use less chemical. What's the other stuff? What do you face in potato production? Uh, we were talking about declines in consumption. That's an ethnicity thing, but I think that goes back up. You know, we've seen this before. Red meat, we saw it go down and come back up. I don't know that we have a long-term problem. Do you? No, no, not at all. I think it comes back to education, but the education, uh, it can never end. You think education will increase demand for product, for potatoes? Well, when, when you have different uh, ethnic groups coming in that were, you know, possibly uh, had, a, had a history of, of consuming, we'll say, rice. Yes. Uh, if we can educate them on the health benefits of, of potatoes, there's, there's no... Uh, yeah, so you can you can that. you can push the potato has potassium, the potato has exactly. uh, vitamin C, vitamin A, etc. That maybe rice yeah, didn't fat have. free, you know, all that good stuff. Okay, so yeah, that's a marketing and branding as well as an education thing to increase consumption on that front. Tell me what else I need to know about potatoes. Tell me about production. Where's New Brunswick fit in? You grow half half as many here in Canada as we do in the U.S., but you only have one-tenth the population, so you're growing a lot of potatoes. Here in New Brunswick, you tell me you're the third highest production Yep, third highest producing province. Uh, we've uh, we've been uh, ranked number one here as far as quality. Uh, we've got the the perfect soils with the perfect minerals to get the the gravity that our fryers are looking for. Uh, so we're second to none when it comes to uh, comes to quality here in Canada. Where do they grow potatoes besides here? 
There's uh, PEI and Quebec. Wait a minute. My listeners don't know what PEI means. They're Americans. Oh, they don't, hell, they don't, they, they don't <laughs> even know where Canada is. Tell them. Well, you'll have some Canadian listeners. I know. know we will. Prince Edward Island, that's uh, east of uh, New Brunswick. We provide. We, we, we built the bridge, and we uh, provide them with uh, electricity as long as they're nice to us. Just so you know, uh, ladies and gentlemen that are listening, I told you I'm sitting in New Brunswick. I'm talking to Matt Hempel, the executive director of Potatoes New Brunswick. I've done a bunch of potato crowds. In fact, I've worked just across the border here in Maine nine years ago, my first time in this part of the world. Maine grows 4% of the United States potato crop, and it's all in this little teeny area that's just across the border from where I am currently sitting right now. I know a little bit about potatoes. I know that they uh, they put them out up here. Prince Edward Island, just in case you're wondering where that is, it's halfway to England, okay? It's like, <laughs> like imagine you get on a plane somewhere in the northeast, like Boston, and when you think you might be around Iceland or Greenland, and it turns out it's just the maritime provinces of Canada. They're on a different time zone, for crying out loud. They're on a different time zone than we are. They're in an Atlantic time zone. All right, Prince Edward Island. So our neighboring, our neighboring province, uh, Quebec, yeah. uh, the Belle Province, and then uh, Ontario is a, a, a smaller growing area with a lot of chip potatoes, and uh, Manitoba would be the, the uh, fourth largest for our potato production. But Saskatchewan and BC are also uh, growing potatoes, but very, very limited, more for the, the fresh market and, you know, roadside stands and things like that. Do you have a breakdown, do you know in your head, a percentage of potatoes that go to something? Like, uh, how many percent go to French fries? How many percent go to chips? How many percent go to baked potatoes on the table? Do you know that number? Oh, it's I don't know the number in Canada. I mean, in New Brunswick, sixty percent is processing. Yes, uh, 20s table and twenty seed. So we assume that uh, there might be a similar number. What about then uh, consumption? I think the last I read, and this has been like five years ago, when I did a potato group. I believe it was around one hundred and forty-six pounds of potatoes. Per year, the average American eats. Is that true? It's up there. Yeah, you're pretty close. So Russia's, I think Russia's leading the way. Russia eats more taters? Yeah. Do you have a number for them? No, but it's, uh, it's, it's 10, 15% higher. Okay, so I believe it was like three pounds per week that the average American eats. Is that roughly the same in Canada? Yep. Yep, bang on. Good deal. Bang on, he says. You can tell I'm talking to a Canadian. They say process, they call it a host, and they also say bang on. Love it. All right. Here's a couple of things I always go through. Let's go rapid fire questions. What is the biggest thing you're trying to communicate to your producers? Because a lot of folks who listen to my show are farmers. What is the thing you're communicating to them? What do they need to know? I communicate mainly them around change, which is a big reason why you're here today. Uh, and uh, Letting them know that, you know, we can't be complacent. We need to be more competitive. Our yields need to come up. Our costs need to come down. Okay. What do they, when they join Potatoes New Brunswick and all that, besides you selling and brokering their deals for them, what else do they get from you? Education? Yeah, education is a big part of it. Uh, we have legislation here in this province to negotiate uh, all contracts. So no potatoes can uh, no potatoes can be bought without, uh, without board approval. All right. You said you're communicating to them about change, change in the marketplace, et cetera, et cetera. What's changed that you've seen? You've been with the group for seven years. You're from this area. You have a degree in engineering. You're a farm kid, and you get it. You used to own your own business. You're a sharp dude. Tell me, what's changed in the marketplace? In the marketplace? Uh, other than consumption? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Potatoes have had uh, a negative um, stereotype here for uh, for several years, mainly due to the fad diets. Mm -hmm. Fad diets meaning low carb. 
Exactly. Okay. Uh, so we're 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 fighting that battle and uh, trying to educate on that. But uh, that's probably the biggest part of it. Okay. So we talked about change, and I said, "What's the biggest change?" And then tell me about the future. You're 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 you can look at your crystal ball. What is the future of potatoes? What's the future of agriculture? Let's go with potatoes first. Yeah, I think with potatoes, it's uh, you're going to continue to see a demand on the processing side, uh, no matter what ethnic group. Um, I think there's a love there for French fries. <laughs> they do like fried. You know, I like fried hash browns too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to yeah. give you a confession, dear listeners, and my friend Matt Hempel. I'm going to tell you right now because we're talking about the business of agriculture as you always do, but it's a little personal moment. When I was a little boy, I started talking, but I was kind of dutchy, as they say. I was kind of a kind of a dutchy talker when I was three or four. So my older siblings always gave me a hard time that I called them ump fries. I knew I loved them. I've always loved French fries. I still I dip them in blue cheese. Last night I had poutine uh, with gravy and cheese ladled over a bunch of crispy French fries with two, three beers. Oh my goodness! Was it amazing? I like French fries, but I used to call them up fries. All right, you're right on that. I think that French fries are damn near divine. What uh, you're seeing is you're going to see a consumption maybe shift more to that and less to fresh. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we we uh, both in North America wide, especially in the Pacific Northwest, we export a lot of potatoes into the Asian market. They're putting out McDonald's and KFCs over there in hours. The, the we will continue uh, that growth. I, I see that growth being over the next five to seven years. The concern, obviously, is when you have that much growth that rapidly is you need to know when that trend ends. And if that if that if we get uh, ahead of that trend and we get producing where we're comfortable and we're healthy and we're you know we're investing, then it's a big ship to stop. Got it. Uh, continue the rapid fire. Since a lot of these people know about production and they are from an ag background, of course, that's why they listen to the Business of Agriculture podcast. You can grow potatoes ideally every third year because you need to rotate because they get they get some fungus. They get some uh, soil issues going on. What do these people that you work with grow on their off years? Yeah, the we, we average a three-year rotation, and uh, it's mainly uh, corn and uh, grain. And uh, soybeans. Yeah, and I was really bothered by that, dear listeners. As a Midwesterner from a corn and soybean state, I told them to just get the hell out of corn and soybeans and go back to doing something else. I don't know, grow muskox out there or moose or, you know, pine trees or something. Let's face it, it's Canada. Anyway. Uh, We're not in the ethanol business, though. It's more it's more forage for dairy. Yeah, got it. Okay, I said what's changed and what's changed in the marketplace. We're going through that. Tell me about the future. What do you see happening besides Asia, et cetera? What else do you see happening? I think the uh, our our conflicts with the the general public uh, will continue. Uh, we've uh, we're seeing more and more, as you call them, yuppies, uh, moving into uh, rural areas. Uh, so when you see um, a a Toyota, what you call them? <laughs> Toyota Prius? Yeah, Toyota Prius drivers coming into town. Of course, your concern is is when you uh, put out those 14-foot booms and start spraying an insecticide, uh, of course, they're on the phone to the Department of Environment and to the media. And I think that's, that's uh, unfortunately, it's uh, it's going to continue. Which brings up the next point. I mean, and I'm not against organic agriculture. I, I've pointed out its limitations. I believe that ultimately, when I talk about the future of ag, I think the best practices of organic are going to be combined and fused with the best practices of conventional and technology we haven't even yet developed. That's where the future of this goes. You know, if organic says we can do this without the inputs, who here wouldn't like to spend less money on inputs? Yeah, everybody. But potatoes, can they be organic without 
genetically engineering. No. They're pretty susceptible to the... We Obviously, Ireland's the best example. Exactly. <laughs> Half the country starved because the potato, potato crop failed. Exactly. No, it's not... Uh, it's, I don't see it as a possibility here. We have we have an organic presence here in New Brunswick, but uh, it's uh, it's not 100% organic, and it, uh, it, it works for some. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but as competitive as this business is, and especially the fry business, it's not an option. Talked about the future. What else do you see happening long-term in the business of agriculture? Anything you see? You've been around it most of your life. You stopped and were an entrepreneur for a while, and you came back to it. What do you see future of agriculture? What, what big changes? What swooping things do you see happening? Well, for us here, I guess it would be uh, innovation. Uh, we've had... Uh, in the last hundred years, we've come a long way. We've had uh, growers that uh, were in the field growing potatoes for the sake of growing potatoes. Uh, this these day this day and age, uh, if you if you don't have a business savvy mind and you adopt innovation and whether that be you know GPS or or uh, new equipment, new technology, um, you know laptops and the tractors, all that. You're not going to make it. Yeah, we talk a lot about that because it's the Business of Agriculture podcast. One of my guests just a couple weeks ago was, there is no legacy if there's not a farm business. Exactly. Uh, it's neat to have these pictures and this imagery, and a lot of our customers, unfortunately, have this of a of an old red barn, which, of course, my my, my, my farm has that, and, you know, an old cement stave silo and all these neat things. But that's history. You know, I pointed out that 100 years ago, those were factory farms also. 100 sure. years ago, those, that was industrial agriculture also, meaning it was the best they could do and as productive as they could be with the most money they could make because that's what it's always been. And a lot of times our customers think it's the nostalgia and it's not a business, but it's always been a business. Absolutely. Speaking of which, one takeaway, one thing, as a guy that's been around agriculture, one thing that you would say, one takeaway, one piece of advice, one thought you want to leave our listeners with that anybody in the business of agriculture can benefit from. Anybody in the business of agriculture can benefit from understanding that at the end of the day, this is all about money. Uh, we, at the end of the day, we put French fries in a box, and those French fries go in a box for a certain amount. What we do know is the consumer will pay whatever amount McDonald's will charge for them. They've proved that with their $2 hash brown. Uh, what's important is that as a, as a grower and as what I do and the people I represent, is understanding that we need to get our, our fair share of that dollar. That's fantastic right there. I couldn't wrap it up any better. We were talking taters with Matt Hempel, the executive director of Potatoes New Brunswick. I like talking taters. I like eating taters. But you know what? That last piece of advice, never forget it, and that's why you tune in here. I really appreciate you doing so. It is about money. It is about business, and that's why we try to bring you unique perspectives right here on the business of agriculture. Thanks a lot, Mr. Hempel. Thank you, and thanks for coming to the, the frigid Atlantic Northeast. Frigid, snowy, maritime provinces of the Atlantic <laughs> Canadian Northeast. Thanks a lot. Hey, guys, till next time. Catch me there. Thanks.